open us in a quick prayer, and then we'll discuss uh, sanctification this morning. Um, please pray with me. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for all the blessings you give us um, and this place we can come to worship, and thank you for this group this morning, uh, for Sunday school, and please help me speak clearly and not uh, muddle words and bring clarity to this topic, and in Christ's name, amen. All right, we're going to look at chapter 13 of the Confession of Faith, and here's a little bit of what we've done so far up till now, is Holy Scripture, Trinity, Decree, Creation, Providence, Sin, Covenant, Mediator, Free Will, Effectual Calling, Justification, and Adoption. And next week is on Saving Faith, and we'll touch a little bit more on Adoption and how it joins um, sanctification. Important to understand sort of where we are in the order of salvation. I don't want to spend too much time on this, but it is critical to understand where we are. So we have election, effectual call, and regeneration. And those things lead to this middle section. And I don't want to get into the weeds on the, the order of the middle section. But you've got faith and repentance, justification, adoption, sanctification, and all of that leads to glorification. So important to understand what that is as we explore this topic. Who knows what the word to sanctify means? Just the verb itself. Nobody? Set apart. <clears throat> so just the verb means to set apart to make holy, to consecrate. So we've got three sections, and they're not terribly eye-watering, but I'm going to read all three of them to start, and then we'll look at the elements of it, and then I want to reread it at the end, and hopefully it's a little bit more clear um, the second time around. So this is what we want to um, study this morning. They who were once effectually called and regenerated... Remember those were in the first part of the Ordo Salutis. Having a new heart and a new spirit created in them are further sanctified. Really and personally, through the virtue of Christ's death and resurrection, by his word and spirit dwelling in them, the dominion of the whole body of sin is destroyed, and the several lusts thereof are more and more weakened and mortified, and they are more and more quickened and strengthened in all the saving graces. To practice true holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. It's pretty strong words there at the end. So section two of three. This sanctification is throughout the whole man and the whole man imperfect in this life. There abiding still some remnants of corruption in every part whence arises a continual and irreconcilable war, the flesh lusting against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. So it is imperfect in our life, in which the war, although remaining corruption for a time, may much prevail, yet through the continual supply of strength from the sanctifying spirit of Christ, the regenerate part doth overcome, 
So the saints grow in grace, perfecting holiness and fear of God. <clears throat> so I want to reread that at the end, like I said, and maybe it'll make a little more sense. So what is the main theme of sanctification? And please follow along in the pronounce if you have one. If you don't, there's a few left back there. So the main theme is going to be conforming to the image of Christ and seeking union with Christ. It's a desire to have perfect union with Christ. And it is a required practice of holiness. So how does this happen? It's God's work of grace through the Holy Spirit. We are empowered and enabled to practice holiness, which leads us more and more to union with Christ. As we are conformed to the image of Christ, we will increasingly demonstrate his righteousness and holiness in our behavior. Sanctification is definitive because um, once we are regenerated, believers are definitively sanctified. We are renewed and set apart because of Christ's work. There's a decisive break there in the power of sin. It is also progressive to uh, different functions there. Um, the on ongoing process of growth and holiness is progressive throughout our life. And it requires, it is a requirement, active cooperation with God's grace. Um, it is restorative. Um, God is reproducing in us his likeness, which we were originally created, and we are freed from sinful habits. Um, this is part of the whole economy of redemption. God initiates, the Son accomplishes, and the Spirit applies the work. This is our journey towards glorification. Remember the Ordo Salutis journey towards glorification. So that's the main theme. And the shorter catechism really perfectly answers it. What is sanctification? Work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and live under righteousness. Any questions on that? All right, let's look at the roles of sanctification. Has anyone heard the term monergism before? So monergism is the act of one or work of one. God is the sole role player in election, effectual call, regeneration, justification, and adoption. There is also synergism, synergistic, which is a cooperation between more than one party, and that applies to faith, repentance, and sanctification, which we're looking at this morning. So in sanctification, God's the primary agent, but it is also a joint venture and is dependent on man being enabled and assisted. So those are the roles of sanctification. Were the means... Wait, I'm going to back up. More on roles... <clears throat> so we want to be cautious of 
activism, and there's a lot of isms here, um, but just bear with me. Though activity is a requirement, we do not want to overemphasize the human effort. And we also want to be cautious of quietism. Um, let God and let go is not a good application of sovereignty here. Uh, you can't just let it play out. Uh, regenerated persons are required to exert themselves in sustained obedience. Passivity is not an option. Um, and I'm going to say this a couple times on some different topics. Sanctification is not grounds for justification. But if there is no evidence of sanctification, that may mean there is no evidence of justification. All right, so what are the means of sanctification? What I mean by this is from our end of things, what does it look like? We know that it's um, enabled and God's the primary agent, but what does it look like from our means? So we are sanctified by truth, and it is entirely reliant on Scripture, hearing the Word, preaching and teaching, and studying, examining and meditating prayer, and then when you're done, some more prayer. Um, worship, sacraments, fellowship, service. That's what sanctification looks like from our end of the joint venture. Let's look at the differences in justification and sanctification. Help us further understand the topic. The two are inseparable. There's a Latin phrase, sinol justus et peccator, at the same time just and a sinner. In justification, righteousness is attributed to us. Our sin is pardoned. It is equal for everybody. Guilt is removed. We're seen as holy. It's a legal standing, and it cannot be removed. Sanctification, grace is infused. Sin is subdued, not eliminated, and we'll examine that more here in a second. It's not equal for everybody. Mine and yours is different. It is imperfect in our life. Power of sin is removed, and it is the practice of holiness. And the larger catechism basically answers, basically got all that from this. And wherein do justification and sanctification differ? Although sanctification be inseparably joined with justification, yet they differ in that God and justification imputeth the righteousness of Christ. In sanctification, his spirit infuses grace and enableth to the exercise thereof. In the former, justification, sins pardoned. In the other, it is subdued. One is equally frees all believers from the wrath of God perfectly in this life and then never fall into condemnation. The other is not equal for all, nor in this life perfect, but growing up to perfection. Any questions so far? All right, we've looked at the main theme, our roles and our means of sanctification and how it differs from justification. Let's look at how we should approach sanctification. Could someone read Philippians 2, 
12 and 13. Please. So we should approach it with fear and trembling, followed by diligence and discipline, seriousness and earnestness. And this I'm not trying to, you know, Bible beat you over the head here. Just it's a reality. Um, a godly person does not have a casual understanding of the word. He meditates on it. Five minutes of scripture here and there is not diligence. Um, church here and there is not seriousness. Is anyone familiar with the term tola lege? Latin phrase from Augustine's confession book where he talks about his conversion. He was walking down the street and some school children were playing a game and singing tola lege, tola lege. And it means pick it up and read. And it was evident to him that that's where his sanctification started, was word-dependent. Um, this does not, I'm not trying to tell you to try harder. Um, obviously, I'm preaching to the choir here because you're at Sunday school. Um, but diligence, diligence and discipline, it doesn't mean try harder. It just means you take it seriously um, and you resort to the means. That's um, the word, prayer, and worship, fellowship, service. <clears throat> Sproul says this in his book, uh, Truths We Confess. The quest for righteousness is the quest of a justified person. We are justified on the basis of Christ's righteousness, but now that God has pronounced us just, he wants us to conform our lives to the righteousness of God. Again, this is not trying to beat you overhead, just the re reality. What does sanctification not look like? Um, and there's two themes here. One is passivity, and the other is thinking that you've accomplished something. Um, pride, passivity, neglect, quietism. Neglecting the word, worship, fellowship, service. Christians who do not know their Bibles remain immature. Activism, it's an overemphasis on our efforts in this process. The moment pride enters, readjust yourself. Um, legalism, don't make laws that God doesn't make. Um, so that's kind of the other end of it. So we'll talk more about perfectionism in a second, but don't make stuff up. But also don't be anti-law, anti-nomianism. Uh, that would be misinterpreting where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. Uh, would not be appropriate use uh, for understanding that. And again, perfect, perfectionism. If somebody could read Matthew 5, 20. Thank you. So, 
impossible to perfect it. The Pharisees tried to, and that was not good enough. So personal accomplishment. And really ignorance of the reality of sin. They got to the point where they didn't think they had any sin, that sin didn't even exist. Um, And that was devastating to them. So at all times, resort to the means. If you're being passive, go back to the means. You think you're in a bad pattern, back to the means. If you think you're doing it well, start over, back to the means. And sanctification is imperfect in our life. Perfectionism, as the Pharisees found out, is heresy. Um, And it's devastating to the Christian life. If somebody could read Luke 18, 9 through 14, please. More about the Pharisees. So the, fin- the Pharisee was ignorant of his sin and he thought it was not a part of his, his nature and he thought he had perfected it. The more holy we become, the more unholy we realize that we are. Regeneration leads us to liberation, uh, but sin is not completely conquered in this life. And we'll look at sin here in the next slide. It's not completed until glorification. Any comments or questions? The larger catechism answers it perfectly about imperfection. Um, The imperfection of sanctification in believers arises, arises from remnants of sin abiding in us and the perpetual lustings of the flesh against the spirit, whereby they are often foiled with temptations and fall into many sins, are hindered in all their spiritual services, and their best works are imperfect and defiled in the sight of God. So, what do we do with sin, or how do we view sin in our sanctification? The... Confession says the dominion of sin is destroyed. I mean, it's reigning power, but sin is not eliminated. And the presence and still has some power and the reality of sin are not yet destroyed. Sin remains, but it no longer reigns. 
we do not escape our flesh in this life. And because of the fall, our corrupt nature remains. Abraham, David, Paul, Peter were righteous men, but had significant struggles with temptation that resulted in bad actions in their life. They couldn't uh, perfect it and could not live without sin. But thankfully, because we're regenerated, we've been snatched up from the death spiral of sin. Um, if somebody could read Romans 7, 21 to 25, please. Thanks be to God. So we have, because of the reality of sin, we now have a war that we're involved with in our sanctification. Um, and no Christian should attempt to live in harmony with just a little bit of sin. Uh, you've got to fight it. It will be a struggle. And how we deal with that struggle is you resort to the means Word and prayer dependent. As we run to Jesus and run from sin, we will grow in our fitness to combat that sin. Sin is weakened in this process and we become more and more alive to God's righteous demands. Proof a person is in Christ, he fights against sin. Again, stated this before, but sanctification is not grounds for justification. But if there's no evidence of it, that may mean there's evidence of no justification. And I don't see another appropriate time but to read Ephesians 6, 10 through 20, if somebody would mind doing that. The armor of God. Thank you. 
not now holy, it's the time and mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Thank you. <clears throat> and the final piece. Well, hang on. Before that, Shorter Chasm 36, what are the benefits that flow from justification, adoption, and sanctifi sanctification? Is that the benefits in this life do accompany or flow from those are the assurance of God's love, peace of conscience, joy in the Holy Ghost, increase in grace, and perseverance therein to the end. And we will perse persevere, and we are headed for glory undeniably. The general movement of sanctification is unmistakable. It trends upward towards glory and there will almost certainly be treacherous moments. Um, but God's ultimate purpose for us is holiness and perfect union with Christ is our final destination. I kind of made this graph. <clears throat> this is not from the Bible, but... Um, <laughs> to give you an idea of what sanctification could look like. You know, here could be when Peter denied Christ or a variety of things. And it's not a straight line. It's not you're, you stay up here. It's down and up, but the, the trend is undeniable because um, we are, sin is more and more weakened and we are more and more able um, to live with righteousness. So I want to reread the three sections and hopefully you can grasp it a little bit better than before. Uh, hopefully I didn't confuse anybody. So those who are effectually called and regenerated, having a new heart and a new spirit, are further sanctified, definitively sanctified, really and personally through the virtue of Christ's death and resurrection by his word and spirit dwelling in them, the means. The dominion of the whole body of sin is destroyed. Okay, sin's not eliminated, it's just subdued. The several lusts thereof are made more and more weakened and mortified. And they, the regenerated, are more and more quickened and strengthened in all the saving graces to practice true holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. So it is a requirement. The sanctification is throughout the whole man, yet imperfect in this life. So don't even think for a second that it can be perfected. There abiding still some remnants of corruption. That's our fallen nature. Whence arises a continual and irreconcilable war. The flesh, flesh lusting against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, in which war, although the remaining corruption for a time may prevail, the continual supply of strength from the sanctifying spirit of Christ, the regenerate part doth overcome, and the saints grow in grace, unmistakable growth, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Any questions? Additions. Right. I hope so. I worked. I worked hard on that graph. <clears throat>
Did I confuse anybody? Not answer anything? I have a comment. Yeah. good portion of this, what I put together, comes from his um, exposition of this chapter. And he's, that's, I think, where I got, you know, the more holy we become, the more unholy we realize that we are. Um, and he was just adamant against perfectionism and how it just devastates our life. Well, it's in the order of salvation. So salvation we see as an order. It's a process of a lot of different things. Um, it is definitely before justification. And this, you can find a, a number of different layouts of this, so I don't want to you know, say this is pure gospel. That's why I didn't put, this is just one section, because different people place those in different things, but it's undeniably elected before time and the end is glorification. And undeniably, regeneration starts everything else. Um, that's pretty much, I think, uh, not argued. I'm just always kind of, regeneration is a new term. Mm-hmm. And then justification is that Right, sure. Yeah, so basically we are, um, the way that Sproul... Um, sort of describes it as we're dead at the bottom of the ocean and not even like drowning, like we've already drowned. And he reaches from the bottom and regenerates us, quickens us in the order of salvation to the rest of these. You know, there's no even like we reached for the life's best at all. He um, entirely regenerates us Born again gives us a new mind and a new heart um, to live out our salvation, you know, uh, in this life. That's all I have. Hope that was beneficial. Thanks for listening. <laughs>